0: Divorce I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity, and I'm excited that my guest today is Sarah Armstrong. She's the author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, and which she wrote after becoming the go-to advisor for all her divorcing friends to share her wisdom that she learned post-divorce. Welcome, Sarah. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Catherine. Great to be with you.
0: So tell us, what is The Mom's Guide and what inspired you to write it?
1: Well, you know, I think before even answering that question, I'd just love to share one kind of uh, point, which is, you know, just for the record, I'm actually not an advocate for divorce. You know, in an ideal world, couples that get married would happily stay together for the long term. But unfortunately, this is not always the case. And these days, as you know,
0: it can be more common than ever. And so... Well, you know Um, what, let me interrupt you and say for the record, I am not an advocate for divorce either, (laughs) but unfortunately it is a necessity. I'm the first person in my family to ever get divorced, ever, in generations. I I can't Uh. imagine that there was any, and it's like not, uh, my grandmother told me before I married my first husband, you must never get divorced, it's not done, family comes first, and my entire career is trying to put together this idea that family comes first, but you don't have to live together with someone you're not meant to be with for the rest of your life and, and absolutely that, and that is yeah. what I've focused my entire life work on trying to figure out how to do that and help as many people as I possibly can make that transition without destroying themselves or their families
1: yeah, no, and I wholeheartedly agree, Catherine. And so to answer your question, over the years since my own divorce, you know, I was asked by many of my girlfriends, as you mentioned, who have children to help them think through the details of the divorce. And I always say that, you know, I was a girl who never, ever thought she would get a divorce like you. Um, and somehow I'd become this poster child for a good divorce. Mm-hmm. And so after helping my friends through this time in life, they really encouraged me to write down the guidance I've been providing them. But I actually, you know, they'd say this to me, and I, I didn't consider myself a writer. And so I'd, I'd say, oh, yeah, maybe so. But I didn't really think I would do it. And I was at a business dinner in Mexico City with a group of colleagues. And one of my colleagues turned to me. He's actually a good friend of mine. And he said, Sarah, he said, you're so happy. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, but you're divorced. <laughs> and I said, well, getting divorced is not a death sentence. I said, I decided to no longer be married to my ex-husband. I said, you know, it's funny. My friends say that I should write down, you know, what I've been telling them in guidance in a book. He said, you really should. And so the next day I got on my flight and opened my laptop and I started writing. And the first line of the books, uh, the first opening just said, this book is written by a girl who never, ever intended to get a divorce and what she learned along the way. So I think it's really interesting though, when you think about, Some of the challenges of how society perceives, you know, divorce and um, the fact that there's this, you know, societal perception that you can't have a good divorce. And I just don't believe that that's the case. I think that you actually can go through the process if you're thoughtful about it with the appropriate intent and end up with yourself, your children and and potentially your ex-spouse all being happy afterwards. But it, it takes a lot of kind of positive intent to get there.
0: So, do you think that it really requires two people to have a good divorce or can one person have a good divorce? Do you understand my question? I
1: do understand your question, yes. Um, I think ideally you have both of you with the goal of co-parenting your children in a way that's healthy for your children and that you are able to focus on what's best for your children. There are instances where they might not be feasible. And if that's not feasible, then what is it that you, as the individual, can control in the situation to make it the most positive situation for your children over the course of time? But I appreciate that that's, you know, having a a joint agreement that you're going to go through this in a certain way isn't always feasible. But I, I do think you can do it even if it is one sided and control what you can.
0: I mean, the reason I ask that is because there could be people out there listening to this thinking, "Well, that sounds great, but there's no way my." soon to be ex, husband or wife is going to be reasonable, be nice, be anything that could possibly make it possibility of us having a good divorce and I and so therefore I think people feel like they have to lower themselves to that level and fight at that really I don't know, primitive place, which is, I think, not necessary. And I think people feel that taking the high road makes them vulnerable. I think it makes them strong. And, and in fact, I think vulnerability makes you stronger. And I'm just wondering, Sarah Armstrong, what your thoughts are about that.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is when you think about the concept of a good divorce, it means that a couple actually has to put aside their own personal feelings for one another because obviously I always say no one gets married to get divorced and generally people are not getting divorced for good reasons, right? And so there's a lot of emotions there. But if you can focus on what's best for your children and when you think about it, when a couple goes through divorce and children are involved, the stakes are high. Catherine, right and so but we owe it to our children to ensure that they're not collateral damage due to the divorce and even though a couple you know has decided they no longer want to be married to one another they don't want to spend their day-to-day together they made a commitment to their children when they brought them into this world to bring them up in the healthiest environment possible you know i i say you know we cover the plugs you know and we make sure they wear bike helmets and we ensure they drink organic milk Right. But then, you know, we go out of our way to ensure they are safe and healthy and happy in their day to day lives. However, the toxicity that can come with a divorce can have long term impact on a children's approach to relationships, to their views on marriage, you know, to their overall happiness in life. And, you know, I just think we have a responsibility to take co-parenting seriously. And that's why I have this belief that this concept of a good divorce shouldn't be something that is not attainable.
0: So what what does having a good divorce mean to you and what are the key components of it?
1: You know, a couple of things that you have to start with as an individual is start with what do you need to compartmentalize about what happened to lead you to divorce that you're not going to bring into and bring that kind of toxicity in with your children and into their day-to-day lives? Because again... Whatever you expose them to, they then have to take on and live with. So I think there's some element of really figuring out what is what is important for them to know, what is important for them not to know, or not to be shared, especially given uh, depending on their age. I also think that if you think about how the environment that you're bringing them up in, and how you try to, what I call minimize the gaps. Um, sometimes when you think about divorce and you think that a li- lives are being pulled apart, right? Environments are being pulled apart. What is it that you can do so that your children don't feel that their world is literally being pulled apart? And so really thinking some, about some of those, um, very, what I, can be, seem like very tactical things. But, you know, if you're taking down a, a, a piece of art or a family photo, what do you put up in its place? So there's not just the, the little hangers of the nails on the wall. So just things that really allow you to, Manage the process so that you're not leaving kind of those open, visible examples that, that life isn't as it was.
0: So it sounds like what you're trying to say is that from a child's perspective, if you think about from their perspective, like what what will show to them, what matters to them, and, and rather than thinking about it from your own perspective.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll give you, I mean, I'll give you a prime
0: example, and it, it,
1: there's there's so many stories, but... My daughter was seven when we got divorced. She's in first grade. And we had a literally a wall of family photos. And I decided at one day to, to take it upon myself to take the photos that were for my ex-husband and take them down and then put other photos up on the wall. And I sent her down to a play date down the street. And she came back. And within minutes of being in the house, she went down the hallway. And I was in the kitchen. And she yelled to me. She goes, hey, mom. I said, what's that, Grace? And she said... The wall has changed, and I stopped, and I thought, oh, my gosh, she's noticed already. And she says, um, there are more pictures of, of me up there. It looks great, and she ran up to her room. And what wasn't in her thought is, oh, all of my dad's family photos were removed from the wall. And the other thing is, if I hadn't put other photos right, up right away, what she would have remembered was all the photos that were missing, right? Yeah. And so it's just it's a, it's a it's a small example, but one that I've really taken – with me to say it's amazing when we think about our children's environment and what they are noticing they're noticing everything and so what do what can we do to minimize it feeling like the
0: world is being pulled apart I'm Katherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX, 1460 AM, every other Wednesday from 5 to 530, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Sarah Armstrong. She's the author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, and we're talking about parenting your children through divorce in order to have the best divorce for them. I think it's really how you think about it, Sarah Armstrong. Is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, it is. The interesting thing is the concept of a good divorce. When I started reflecting, on it, it came from my daughter. And we were standing at a CVS um, checking out when she was eight years old, was about a year after our divorce. And we there was a People magazine on the counter, and there was a celebrity couple that was getting a divorce. And she looked at me and she said, "Hey, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce?" Mm-hmm. And I and I stopped and I said, Grace, I don't I don't know what's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce. She goes, Well, a good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other and get along, like you and Daddy. And a bad divorce is when they yell
0: and scream at each other and they don't get along and they end up on the cover of people.
1: <laughs> it, well, exactly, exactly, exactly. And I stopped and I said, Grace, you know, it's hard to tell from the cover of a magazine what type of divorce that is, but. I think that's interesting. And so I walked out and, you know, she grabbed my hand. We went out to the parking lot and I thought, wow, a year after our divorce, she was categorizing our divorce as a good divorce. And those were her words, you know, nothing that I would have ever even thought to, you know, reflect on at that point. And she really coined it for me in terms of, of how she was viewing it. And so that was just a really powerful moment of, of reflection as, as I thought about how she and, uh, you know, how she saw it, and then how my ex-husband and I were, were trying to approach our divorce. Well, it sounds like you're doing
0: a great job. There, you're trying. Point. I wonder what, what do you think is the most common thing that people approach you or approach you before you wrote the book to ask you that you think would be useful for other people to know about?
1: It was interesting. When my friends would say, you know, can you talk to me about what you did? And I'd have to really think about it. And I guess what we did is I, I tried to break it down into bite-sized. Decisions and discussions. So decisions we needed to make about Grace's life and discussions we need to have as a couple about how we we're going to co-parent with her or the conversations we need to have with others around us as we went through this divorce. So it is, it is such a daunting thing to think about going through a divorce. And so how is it that you can kind of approach it in a way where you really do keep your, your child in full view the whole time? And one of the most powerful conversations, Catherine, that we had early on is we had gone to a, a child specialist to talk to them about that we were going to be getting a divorce, and he looks at me and he says, uh, "So, Sarah, do you do you travel?" And I said, uh, "Yes, I actually travel internationally for my job." And uh, he looks at my ex and my soon-to-be ex-husband and says, do "You travel?" And he says, "Yes, I travel domestically." And he looked at both of us and he said, "Well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler for the next 11 years of her life until she heads off to college," and. And she said, she's going to go back and forth between your two homes for the next 11 years. And I burst into tears. And uh, he said, so what are you going to do to help her through that? And so from that point, I started to reflect on what are those things when you, because we're not the ones that have to move homes each week, right? Our children do. And depending on the, the situation in terms of how you decided to, to manage the, the back and forth. And so I really had to start thinking about what could we do to minimize that feeling of her being a professional traveler? every week and so we just you know it's it's small things but making sure there's if again and this is, is part of the a socioeconomic consideration I realize I had the benefit of is where could we have a duplicate of something at the other house so we weren't having to pack a bag for every little thing you know there's the special things that have to travel between homes but what could we do to minimize that feeling like she was packing a bag every week? And so, um, again, just an example of where I've tried to talk to my friends about really thinking through kind of the logistics of day-to-day life, of what your children will be experiencing, and how can you minimize the impact they're having? Because they are actually the ones that are having to, to take on a brunt of the things that you as individuals living in your own homes actually don't have to take on.
0: What do you think that some of the pitfalls are that divorced couples experience, especially early on when it's, it's new and the feelings are still really raw?
1: I think one of the pitfalls is thinking that you should be communicating to your ex-spouse through your children and that they think, you know, that they should be a messenger or that they should somehow be conveying things. And I think that's one of the hardest And probably worst things we can do for our kids is expect them to play that role. So I generally have said to my friends, you know, figure out what you want your communication to be between the two of you, but don't put your kids in the middle of that, regardless of age, whether they're young, old, because that's a responsibility that they shouldn't have to take on. I think the other thing is really just ensuring that when you are with them, because there's so much going on during a divorce, you can be so distracted and you're juggling so many things. But when you are with them, try to be as present as possible. And I think this is a challenge for all of us in this day and age with all that we have that we're trying to juggle and technology and all that comes with it. But the more present we can be with our children during this time and have them understand that they are our focus and that, you know, how they're feeling is so important versus kind of looking past them and saying, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. I think it's really important. And also I think in the, that first year, recognizing that it is a year of firsts, you know, and As you're co-parenting or as you as a a new single parent, you're going to decide whether the way the birthday went, whether the holidays, the first vacation, all of those first, whether that went well and you'd want to repeat that and, and make that a potentially new tradition or whether it actually didn't go as you would have liked it and you never want to do it that way again. Okay, And I can give you an example of I had my first holiday without grace with my family and, and my nieces and nephews around and it was really hard for me. And I decided, I don't know that the years that I don't have grace, <laughs> that that's how I'm going to want to spend my holidays. And so you just have to reflect on what works for you and for your kids and that year first and then really take that to guide you as you're trying to decide what you're going to year do in year two and
0: year three and beyond. I think it's really interesting about traditions and new traditions, and I think you make a really good point. I think so often people try to hold on to the old traditions. In your story, it's just they're sort of hollow, right?
1: And yeah. And yeah. so...
0: The idea of creating new traditions and not feeling that that's a tremendous loss, but an opportunity to move forward. And I know that's really hard, but I think I really try to encourage our clients to think that way about what they could do, both when they're with their kids, when the other parent isn't there, and when they're alone, that that's the hardest thing, I think, about divorces is not celebrating the holidays with your kids.
1: It is. And uh, yes, and I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think, you know, the things that I think children remember from their childhood are tradition, travel and special moments in general. Like I think, you know, the kind of that's what kind of bubbles up as you think and uh, as you reflect back in your childhood. and And those traditions that were before the divorce, you know, may make sense to carry on and they may not. And it's just being OK to let some of them go if they don't and saying that's okay. Um, The one thing I can tell you, Catherine, and I'd be interested in your perspective on this, I think holidays are hard in general, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, in these situations. So what is it that can make it the best it can be? Because they're not easy when you're trying to juggle the various various dynamics that come with the holidays to begin with. And then when you add the complexity of divorce, they're definitely something you really have to think about how you want to make them the best they
0: can be. Yeah, I mean, I think that thinking about it from a kid's perspective and what's important, but it doesn't have to be exactly. There are certain things that you could just sort of make touchstones, but recreate them in new ways, you know. Exactly. Maybe it's the same menu, but you do it in a restaurant or you do it in a at, at, club med. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, whatever. No, exactly. You, know, you like change it up. And, yeah, and, you change it up. Yeah, and you ask for, for some help. I mean, obviously not if they're two, but, you know, if you were to say, you know, what would be fun to do for Christmas this year and, and help them engage in creating that now? I mean, I I know that we obviously had to make a change with my kids on Christmas, and now they feel like we created this tradition together. Now they're really, you know, committed to it, but it's because yeah. they, you know, I mean, they're in their their 20s. Now, but yeah. they, you know, they cook and they participate and yeah. and in helping put it on, you know, and I think that bringing that in early on really allows them to feel like they're creating something with you, and that's super special, and that you can't absolutely, you know, you can't absolutely re- that it's just you can't deliver that on a platter. You have to in- engage in the experience with them. I want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and we're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Sarah Armstrong. She's the author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. And, Sarah, if people are interested in learning more about the book or about your work, how can they do that?
1: Yes so um the book is available on the Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce is available on Amazon um, Barnes & Noble as an iBook, a Kindle, or Nook, as well as paperback. And I actually just recently launched uh, an Audible version that's available as well. So um, you can get it in, uh, in any form that is helpful. And I have found that you know some women may not be ready to have this book on their coffee table, and I can appreciate that. And so I have having both the audio version as well as the electronic version allows you to read it or listen to it where it's the most appropriate for you. My website is um, www.gooddivorce.guide, G-U-I-D-E, um, and it has uh, more information in the book as well as uh, just additional information, kind of the, the background and what led me to, to write all of this down.
0: That's great. I, I'm wondering, you know, these are challenging times for couples, and I think a lot of people are are questioning their marriages when they might not have done so or at least done so yet. And well, do you have any Thoughts or advice for couples who are thinking about getting divorced or getting divorced during the pandemic?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. And I do think, you know, this time of unexpected togetherness, I think has been tough on those couples whose relationships may have already been on the edge. And so I think one of the things to do is to take the time to really think about what it is that you, if, if you're going to take that step now with all that's going on in the world, what is going to be the best way to do it with your children given this time and and what is feasible to do now. And think about, um, first of all, I think the whole concept of compartmentalization is this muscle that I don't think we talk enough about, but in times when you are in confined spaces with those that you may decide you don't want to spend your day-to-day with, it's a matter of how do you compartmentalize and not allow all the negativity that you potentially feel toward that person seep into everything in your environment and specifically the environment your kids are living with day in and day out. I know that sounds like a really hard thing to do, but it's a muscle that I think we can build and and strengthen for the betterment of these situations. The other thing is really thinking about how you're caring for yourself in these times because um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, when you're trying to juggle life and all that's being thrown at us right now, and then on top of that, just the mental and emotional decisions you're trying to make is really taking care of yourself, getting the sleep you need, and really trying to, because if you can't take care of yourself in the way that you need to, it's hard to then have the energy to take on, which is a very significant life change. And so I think there's something about figuring out what self-care you need for yourself, whether it's therapy, taking a walk, you know, volunteering, doing what you can to give yourself some space that allows you to feel like you're taking care of yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important, and it's hard to do. And it feels, it
1: is hard to do.
0: you know, especially as the weather gets colder and we're mm-hmm. more uh, restricted in what we can do, at least in parts of the country that are yeah. affected by weather in that yeah. way. And and that can, I think, lead people to feel really desperate in some ways. But I, a previous guest once suggested that finding some creative outlet is a great yeah. way to take care of yourself and whether or not that's dance or art or music or writing, anything that allows you to be creative in a way that brings you joy and release is a great thing to do.
1: I would agree with that. I'd also say just think about the positive energy givers you have in your life, those people that give you energy and really find the ways of connecting with them, whether it's, you know, via video, on a phone call. I think, you know, you need that you need that positive energy as you're going through this and and not necessarily people that are going to to take energy away from you right now because you need all that positive energy to get through the next phase that you're looking to tackle.
0: And how about for people who are already divorced? Do you have any insight for them to maybe make their divorce a little bit better, even though it's already well launched?
1: Yeah, you know, I actually think that there is something to be said for even if you've gotten divorced, and it may not have, again, the reasons you got the divorce were probably not positive, even if the first year or two has been really hard. I fundamentally believe that if you step back and take stock of what you want in terms of how you want your children to reflect back on the divorce, um, over the course of time that you can course correct at any point if you choose to. And it is, I I talk a lot about the things in the book in terms of different things that you can do to really allow you and your children to go on a more positive path. And But it, again, it takes some thought. It takes some planning. And to your point, it takes maybe shifting out of what was typically how you would be operating to do that. But I do think that you can you can end up even with a good divorce, even if it didn't start off as a, as a positive experience for you and your family. And so, um, you know, I, I like to say that I don't think divorce needs to be a scarlet letter. You know, it's, it's a process you go through, but it doesn't need to define your life or your children's lives in a negative light for the long term. But it does take effort and being thoughtful of how you want to co-parent so that a good
0: divorce is possible. We only have about twenty more seconds, but can you think of one hint for how to broach, perhaps, to your ex-spouse how you might improve things, or should you not do that?
1: No, I absolutely think I think it's figuring out what is that one. What are those one or two
0: things that you think you two could think about together
1: that could be a positive shift in how you're co-parenting together. And if you get, you know, again, bite-sized pieces, you can't tackle everything. So just think of the one thing that you think could make things better for your children and focus on that one thing and see if you can move that forward in the positive light. And I have strong belief that that'll put you on a path for the next thing and the next thing.
0: All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue, Sarah Armstrong. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me, Catherine. Great to be with you.